Hello, I'm Polly McKinney, Advocacy Director at Voices for Georgia's Children. For those of you not familiar with Voices, we are a statewide policy and advocacy organization that works to improve the policies and practices that affect all children in our state. And this is our Challenges for Children podcast series. Recently, we decided to visit four Georgia counties to speak with community members about barriers local children face when it comes to health care. From this, we have developed a written report, which can be found at www.georgiavoices.org. There, you can also listen to our heartfelt interviews with community members. The latter have been crafted into the first season of candid and compelling podcasts, which illustrate the thoughts, experiences, and concerns families and providers have for the children in their care. This podcast shares some of the voices of Darty County, Georgia. Darty County is located in southwest Georgia on about 326 square miles of land. It's about 55 miles from the Alabama border and 70 miles from the Florida border. It is home to the city of Albany and is neighbored by the more affluent Lee County. The population of Darty County is about 89,500 and approximately 24% of those people are children under 18. More than 43% of those kids live at or below the federal poverty level. The county has 14 elementary schools, four middle schools, and three high schools. The unemployment rate hovers around 5.5%. The population is 67% black, 29% white, and about 2% Latino or Hispanic. A word of warning. The following contains some content that some listeners may find uncomfortable. For this podcast, I sat down with six community members. Let's meet them. Keisha Myers. I have a five-year-old son who is smart, caring, helpful. He's very active. He make you laugh and just full of joy. You can't ask for more. My name is Karen Hills. I'm the team leader for the clinical nurse program here in Darty County. My name is Queen McNeil. I have five kids, Leo, Julian, Gabriel, Michael, and Amelia. Cheyenne Wilson. I have one child. Um, he's six months. He's a big baby. He's very active. Um, he's a beautiful child. My name is Ursula Shantae Brown. I don't get Medicaid, Peach State, or no kind of insurance. I, my kids get it, but they get it up under my mother because I have seizures. And my mother is my primary caretaker, so that means she is over me and my kids. My name is Cheryl with a C, Calhoun. I work for Doherty County Family Literacy Connection. So talk to me about what you see with children's health in this community and in your work. Wow. Um, I don't even know where to start uh, because I deal with the parents and the children and I can't uh, talk about one without talking about the other. Because I deal with the families that are below the poverty level, the lack of literacy and the culture and the lack of understanding how important for their children to get their shots. I'm going to give you an example. I got a parent, she's 31. It took me almost two to three months to get that mom to see how important it is to get shots for her children. And they can't come in the Child Development Center. I can't even help the children if you don't get them the shots. As a school nurse, I see a lot of problems that I think could have been prevented through wheelchairs. People just, they don't know the value of prevention. 
Some of the things I see are behavioral issues, depression, sometimes scoliosis, problems with vision, great barriers to dental care because a lot of children have cavities and problems that have exacerbated because they just didn't go to the dentist. How is their health care? Is it pretty easy to get them to the doctor? Or? It's mostly their insurance provider that I have. Not many providers down here accept that insurance, so I have to go out of town for him to be able to be seen. Um, I'm in Albany, Georgia, so I have to go to Camilla, Georgia for his pediatric appointments. So how far away is Camilla from Albany? 45 minutes. And do you have a car? No, I don't. So how do you get there? Um, paying people sometimes, pack transportation other times. It sounds exhausting. It is. Sometimes I have transportation, sometimes I don't. And my other son, he has a speech problem. And most of the time when I try to get him into like a speech therapist or anything like that, I make an appointment, um, get there on time, they see him, and they tell me they gonna call so they can reevaluate him. But I be waiting for that call, but never call. I get that on every last one of them. It's hard when they don't call you back. They don't really call back. Sometimes I be calling them constantly about my son's speech. But, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know what, I'm going to work on on it with him. So if I can't get their help, then I have to help my son. I just can't sit there and wait for somebody to help me. My son needs me, so I don't depend on nobody. I just do the best thing I can do for him. He needs me. What happens a lot of times is there's not a lot of follow-through. There's no one there to interpret. There's, or they'll, they'll say, see the specialist in Tallahassee for, you know, for this. How do I get to Tallahassee? You know, who's going to help me get there? How am I going to afford gas? How, you know, so there needs to be somebody to make that call, that follow-up call and say, are you going to have transportation to get to Tallahassee? You know, here's a voucher. This, you know, companies that might, they're, they're resources here. Just need somebody to navigate. How does that play out with their kids? What do you see? I work with the teen parent program. A lot of times their children don't get seen because they forget to renew the Medicaid. I think it's paperwork you have to fill out after the first year, after they're one year old, and then a lot of parents don't fill out the paperwork. I suspect there's some folks who think, well, why don't they just sit down and do their paperwork? I mean, what's so hard? It's just paperwork. If you had an ideal population where everybody was literate, you know, could read and write, now you have to apply for assistance and all on the computer. You have to have a computer. You have to have Wi-Fi. Make it easy where folk can probably do it better on a piece of paper. Some people don't even want to go to work because they don't even know how to use a computer. They don't even know how to fill out application. They don't know the confirmation number. I'm just being honest. So if you're going to do something, better sit out. So therefore, when this person ain't got one way of learning and they got another conditional way of learning, learning where they can get it too. I think the misconception is that people are just having, especially single parents, are just having kids and they're not taking care of them. They don't want to work. The truth of the matter is most people want to work. There just aren't jobs. They want to take care of their children. A lot of times they just don't know how. So when the father lives, it's like it just, he just vanished. Like what I was supposed to do, I don't know. But I did go to work at two jobs and I had to look for another job because they wasn't paying me very much and 
it just hurt me so much that I wanted my own place and get what I want and need, especially for me and my child. It just hurt so much. I don't have a job, and it's difficult for me to get a job. Yes, I have benefits, but as soon as like, I say if I start getting a job, those benefits are gone. And the person that have a job, they don't get benefits at all for their kids. They need the same benefits just like we do, and we need a job just like they do. So it's a lose-lose situation. Nobody don't win no well. If there were jobs, then transportation to get to the jobs and child care services for their children when they're working, most people want to work. They're just, it's just hard. It's just hard. Those are barriers that I see. And I think that's what I would want known about the community. Me personally, my mom left me in the hospital when I was born. I don't have family. I don't have somebody I can just fall back on. I don't have, hey, let me call my aunt. And can I hold $25 so I can feed my, I don't have that. I need that help, I need food stamps, I need Medicaid. I need that because I wasn't fortunate enough to have a family. I know it's more than me out there because I was in group homes from 11 to 18 and I know people out here really don't have that. Everybody needs somebody to lean on, somebody to comfort them, because I dealt with a lot. Yes, I've been raped before. Yes, I almost died twice when I was a little girl. So I've been through a lot. Since I'm a single mother, it's sometimes easy and sometimes hard especially not without your other support, is really hard. Talk, can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, I got pregnant at an early age and left with a child. And I didn't know that's going to happen with me being left with a child, and that just overwhelmed me while I was still in school. So I really had to, you know, get an outside person to help me become a better parent. Putting a baby to your heart so they can get that bond. I had to learn from somebody else and how to feed the baby, change the baby diaper that my mom never taught me. Because, like, it's hard when you don't know about being a parent, but it's a learned lesson. A few years ago, DFAX brought me a girl. She was 18 years old, her first baby. Well, when she had the baby in the hospital, she didn't even know that you can crate, how to cradle the baby and give it a bottle. Well, she had the baby sitting up like this, giving the baby the bottle. I thought the nurse should have took the time out to show her the proper way, but she called DFAX. So when I came in to visit with the mom, I thought it was a, one of those serious cases that I usually have to deal with. But it was just she didn't know how to feed her baby. And she ended up having a defects case just because she didn't know how to hold the bottle right. So why do you think that nurse didn't take a minute to teach that mom how to feed her baby? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I have a lot of days I cry. Sometimes because we don't value ourselves we don't treat ourselves like we're important, that others don't see that we're important to them neither. So I feel like the nurse just stereotyped her as some girl from the hood, uh, from the projects. So why not just call DFACS? Why would I have to worry with her? Majority of the nurses or the receptionists, they don't have a caring persona. They have like a 
an attitude. <laughs> like they they hated to come to work this morning, and we're dealing with kids. They they want love. They don't want hate, and that's majority of the time what we're getting. What does that look like? So when you walk into an office, what is that? It's uh, put your name, child name down and go have a seat. It's not a hello. How are you doing this morning? Um, how may I help you? That's what it looks like. <laughs> and if you mess up anything on the paperwork, on paperwork, or you make an error, oh, they got to do this over again. And stuff like that. And it's, it's not necessary. Everybody doesn't have the same level of education as you might have. So you have to be sympathetic with some people. I mean, they just don't treat you right. I remember one time when I went to the hospital and I was finna get ready to have a miscarriage. I constantly repeat to the nurse, like, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. Can somebody see about me? Can somebody see about me? She just told me to sit there right there and they'll call me. I'm just sitting there in pain. Nobody came to check up on me. I plead. Next thing I know, hey, I, I, I had a miscarriage right there on the, on the, right there, just right there. And I had told a lady, she gave me a towel and went back over to her seat and sat down. Was there ever a time when you were worried that they weren't going to get the health care that they needed? Um, let me tell you, my baby, just before we moved, he had chronic, that's what it called, chronic asthma, but it's another word for emphysema. She came, she's like, something's wrong with him. He's not breathing regularly, and he was, he was, <gasps> like he couldn't breathe. So I was like, well, you need to call the ambulance. I called him two times in one night. One at nine, the one, that, and another one the the again at 345 at morning. And the EMTs came in, and they were really making it out of a joke, saying, oh, this is what you call gasping for air. And he was gasping for air. He's like, well, he's not blue, so we're not taking him to the emergency room. And you know, people like, oh, we don't have transportation. I don't even drive. I, don't, I can't even get driving like because of my condition. You see what I'm saying? I did my job by calling y'all out. I, I don't know the medical field. So if I'm telling you one thing, I'm telling you what he's doing, and he gave me all the signals, the signs that I have to take classes for it to know. There's no way you should have turned around and left him and told me to give him brief treatment and left him. You should have supposed to took him to the hospital. The next day, the mother took him to Phoebe North, and they rushed him to the back and airlifted him to Macon because he was very close to death. The doctor told me, standing right there, me, M. King told me, standing right there, she said, baby, if you hadn't got your baby here in 15 more minutes, your son would have been dead. She said, I don't know how he went all night like that. Why do you think people treated her that way? I have no clue. We, we, this community as a whole needs to get better for the sake of our children. I was in a domestic violence situation. I called 911. The police did not come in the house. They did not leave their car. I had my child. I was struck with my child in my arm. So, you get what I'm saying? So it's not, they just help everybody. No, they don't. People down here, they help who they want. They help who they want to help. And I was seriously living in a truck. I was without my child for two weeks because I wanted him to stay with his grandmother where he would have somewhere to stay. So I was living in the back seat of a truck. So, yes, we need help. Bad. We need more people that care about people.
I was a NICU nurse, ex-NICU nurse, and when I take care of those babies, every I mean, all the babies have the same chance, pretty much. You know, they just looking at them. If they had a term pregnancy, mom delivered and did what she's supposed to do, which most babies are born healthy. I mean, they have a chance, but to just see the chance go down every year that they don't have what they need, the resources they need to have a full and productive life, it's, it's very, it's very discouraging. A lot of parents, what they children go through, they, they don't have a father. Mine's don't have nobody but me. He look up to me, say, Mama, I learned this in school. Mama, where my daddy? It just hurt so bad you can't explain to him. I just told him, God's your daddy, and I'm be with you regardless of what happened. But I told him, if he get a girl pregnant, please stay by our side. I don't care if she talk trash to you, just stay by her side. What is the one thing you would like for this community to be able to give your son? A future, Jesus. <laughs> Not with violence, and it, it seems like north, south, east, or west side of Albany is filled with violence. Someone's getting shot, someone's selling drugs, someone's doing something. When you actually rid the victim, it's different. It's totally different. It's not a good thing. It's not a good feeling. What I experienced, I don't want nobody to experience that. If I'm trying to do something with my life, please do something. Because nobody want their child going out the wrong path or end up in the ground or in jail. Nobody wants that because I know how I feel. My brother's in prison. I know how I feel. Leadership is what we need because leadership makes you value people. It sets a tone. It, it makes you, I don't see you as a white woman anymore. I see you as people. And when you value people like that nurse, she wouldn't have never did that. How's your baby now? He's fine. <laughs> He's fine. He's a happy, happy baby. Um, he would never feel the stuff that I had to feel. He would never have to go through that. So, yes, he's fine now. He's in daycare. <laughs> he is my world. Like, I would die for him. I would go to jail for him. It don't matter. He's my only child I really have and I really love. I'm trying my best to do as much as I can for my family. And that's the only thing I be looking at. They're a handful, but still love them. At Voices for Georgia's Children, we advocate for all children in our state. And yet, even for us, it's sometimes easy to forget the real-life implications of public and private social policies, as well as the array of challenging issues that children and families encounter each and every day. It's our hope that these messages can guide the crafting of future initiatives, which could eliminate barriers to success that so many young Georgians face. We want to thank the people of Darty County for their perseverance, their spirit, and their willingness to share their thoughts and concerns but most of all, we want to thank them for their unwavering commitment to the children in their community. We hope you take a few minutes to read the entire report on healthcare barriers Georgia children face, 
along with our suggested solutions, on our website, www.georgiavoices.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Polly McKinney with Voices for Georgia's Children.